0: Good to see you. It's been uh about a year and a half, almost two years since we talked last, I believe. I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's it's a lot's happened since. So Quite a bit yeah, has
0: both sides. And a lot's remained the same. Yeah. Uh Yes. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you today, hoping that we could dispel some of the more common misconceptions, myths, uh, and kind of reveal some of the realities about 3D printed construction, so that people can uh listen and get an idea of uh, you've been watching
1: this industry for how many years uh almost 2015 so seven eight years now since we
0: started so i guess maybe we just go back and forth uh would you like to start off what do you think the biggest myth is in 3d printed construction
1: um the biggest one still remains unfortunately is price uh, so people assume that that when you 3D print houses, you're still going to get them for cheap, uh, like 5000 dollars, ten thousand dollars, which is very unrealistic. But um, people still, I, I still get calls today where it's like, "Oh yeah, we heard that we can 3D print houses for cheap, and and we just want to learn more about this amazing technology." And uh, I try to um, try to explain the facts as to when it comes to that. So one of the biggest ones that we still face today is the the price.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny in a 3D printed construction job site. Uh, I used to do construction auditing, comparing subcontractor uh, receipts to their payroll uh, mm-hmm. taxes to make sure everybody's reporting the right numbers. And without a doubt, on every construction site, people try to make it look more expensive than it actually was so they can charge more money. However, in a 3D printed construction site, they do the opposite. So instead of trying to make things look more expensive, they mask costs (laughs) and they don't include the shipping, the printer assembly. Um, and I've noticed often the skills needed to operate these systems are very specialized. So Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it's hard to put a price on the team. Uh, some of them are pretty irreplaceable.
1: Yeah, they do. But also like when, when, especially when you're doing, um, uh, like one-off projects, like a single house here or a single house there or a couple of houses here. There's a lot of training associated with the, with the uh, project itself. So again, like you mentioned, there's logistics, there's there's training, there's, there's manpower that you have to bring in for one time. So there's, there's a lot of costs associated with the initial print that you do. That is not carried on on con- other prints because later on, um, the either the company or the general com- contractor will actually buy or lease this this machine. So, but they'll be running their own own personnel to actually do all the 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 printing. So there there's a lot of costs associated with the initial print um, that people don't realize. But again, also there's ongoing running costs that you might benefit out of it. So people are focusing just only on the construction, but not realizing that your three D printed house. It's not going to blow away in a couple of years if there's a tornado or, or a hurricane. It's not going to burn down if there's a fire, but also your running costs in terms of your ambient temperature, how much you're going to spend on heating and cooling, all that can be offset in the future. So you're saving on the long run, even though in, on, on the short run, you might think that, okay, you're spending more money.
0: Yeah, cost is definitely the big one. Uh And I guess I'll go next. The, the big myth is that a house can be printed in 24 hours yes uh, or just time in general i see these claims often and they say print time or something specific like time active and they're not lying but the language they're using makes it sound like the project was completed in less than 12 weeks 16 Mm -hmm. weeks uh Mm -hmm. i haven't seen any of these projects come in much faster than a traditional construction project because of all the associated subcontractors and having to try things for the first time.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, like everybody's doing things differently. So some people are printing and leaving uh, the the holds for the MEP um, as part of the print. Some people are actually printing full walls and then cutting things out. So everybody's still on a a trial trial process when, when they're trying to see what works and what works best for that solution. Um, And some people are taking it one step further and say, "Okay, I'll do the the formwork for this lab or I'll do something else. So there is everybody's doing something different. So there's not one way of doing things. And as because people are learning and trying to adapt um, this, this is also something that that is different from one project to the other. Also, everybody's using different materials. Some people are trying to use mortars other peoples are trying to move away from mortars and, and more conventional uh, aggregate and regular concrete so uh you cannot do a one-to-one comparison um uh, especially when you're comparing um stick build or traditional construction with your 3d printing construction
0: yeah when we have more data hopefully there'll be more comparisons to make um i guess just before we go to a third myth i want to circle back to the price thing from What I've seen, there haven't been many people totally transparent about their prices. But those who have, it seems to be around 40% more expensive than a traditional project. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that 40% number, it's very qualitative, but it's consistent as well.
1: Uh, yes, uh, only because you have. Well, there's again, there, you, if you're doing everything on one single project, if you're doing, a, for example, an 80 square meter house and, and you're bringing a printer and, and material and expertise and training and everything's riding on that single house and that single project, yes, it's going to cost more. Definitely, it's going to cost more. But you don't, what people don't realize is that if I'm doing that for 10, 15, or 20, or even 100 houses, I'm bringing in the equipment once, I'm doing the training once. And I'm doing the logistics once, but it the, the price is offset on that project. So then it becomes more realistic and, and more more conventional. But interestingly,
0: the, co- the 40% above expense, those didn't include training costs uh, or any of the costs that you mentioned. So, I mean, that gets into the realm of speculation, right? Because nobody's completed a project of that size yet.
1: No, but like when we were doing uh, the house in Saudi Arabia, there's there there was a hefty logistics cost and not just logistics. I mean, you're talking about uh, uh, customs clearance and, and hiring the agents to actually do that. There's a lot of stuff that goes beyond the, just the construction. But it's still speculative, right? Side. Exactly. It's but speculative that...
0: Uh, because I haven't seen any of these companies achieve scale yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody's printed more than... Maybe six tiny units together but uh in terms of an actual single family residential home uh yeah i mean we'll have to wait and see for one of these hundred home projects to come to fruition yep do you have a third myth ready
1: uh yeah Uh, people seem to think that 3d printing is this phenomenon that that nobody can relate to when it's not um Uh, The approach towards 3D printing is just like you would do any other piece of equipment on your construction site. There are two things. First, um, 3D printing has to address a pain point. Um, You're not going to get a 3D printer um, just for the sake of getting a 3D printer, just because it's the the latest and greatest thing out there, and and we want to be part of the uh, hype. Um, You have to equate 3D printing just like you would do any other piece of equipment. So, like If you're buying a crane or a bulldozer or an excavator, you're buying it because there's a specific reason why you're buying that, or there's a specific job you wanna do when you're buying it. You wouldn't buy, invest so much, like $1.5 million in a piece of equipment if you're just gonna have it sit and then figure out, okay, how am I gonna use it? And the same depreciation, the same um, investment, and the same thoughts and the same reservations that you would have when you're buying this big piece of equipment has to be carried out when you're buying a 3D printer.
0: I think that's a dangerous analogy because there's no financing options for the concrete printer. There's no compelling financing options yet, and also those those dozers and the other construction equipment. Uh, there's many. There's thousands of trained operators, and there are. Uh, it's not equipment that companies usually buy. Like the companies purchasing concrete printers none of them own dozers, none of them own uh, cranes, none of them own any of those things they rented all the time?
1: Not necessarily, because like as a general contractor company, we we owned our equipment. So we owned our machinery. And it was easier for us to actually just uh, take it from one side to the other than actually keep on leasing it and finding uh, a different subcontractor in a different location. So, But what about the number on... of
0: operators available? Um,
1: the you number think it's or...
0: Sorry? Do you think that the printing is more simple or it's as simple as traditional construction equipment?
1: If the training is happening with the... No, I mean, there's, it depends on what you're doing. If you're doing the the printing itself and where you're just monitoring the software and then yeah, that's something that could be done uh, by an engineer or a technician. But the the, the complexity comes into the material science and that's not something you can just like find anywhere off the shelf. I mean, there has to be a dedicated person who actually does the material and to augment the material and troubleshoot the material as it happens. um, Yeah, that's
0: a real challenge. Every time I've seen a new project site, they always struggle uh, with the material on a new location. It's never just quick and easy.
1: Yeah, that's number four, uh, where the myth comes into play. Uh, When you're, just to segue out of that, I mean, when when you're dealing with material, just because the material and equipment works, um, we're not talking international. Just let's take uh, U.S. If, just because it works on the West Coast doesn't mean it's going to work, work on the East Coast, and magic is going to happen, and or you're you you're, um, um, go off and printing from day one. And
0: just because it works at 6 a.m. doesn't mean it'll work at 9 a.m.
1: <laughs> exactly. So you have to take your your consideration into testing the material, making sure that the material that you have, even though it's a verified mix and formula, that, that you actually do your, your due diligence in testing it and making sure that you're getting the consistency that you want and not just jump to conclusions that just because it works in one location, it's going to automatically work in the other location.
0: Yeah, the myth I was going to do next was that you can press a button and uh, print a house. It's never that simple. And you kind of hit the nail on the head at the mixer pump system. Uh, Maybe it's not the printer. Maybe on the printer, you can click a button. And if everything goes well, it's fine. But you need at least one person loading the mixer pump system. And probably a couple people observing, uh, maybe one observing the Printer making sure the hose doesn't hit and one observing the team for safety, really just three people, bare, bare minimum, absolute bare minimum. And that's usually four people, five people, you get someone like me filming and six people on site. So uh, yeah, it's it's not just click, print, go. And if there was, you'd get a lot of concrete spaghetti prints, I think. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, again, there's a lot of trial and error that goes out there, um, but but you have to be be realistic as to your output and your expectations. And it's not just a magical, again, it's not a magical piece of uh, equipment that's just going to be installed and, and boom, it's going to work and everything's going to come out just perfect. It doesn't work that way. You have humidity, you have temperature, you have the water, the material temperature, the water temperature, Um, if it rains if it's cold if it's hot if there's wind you have so many factors that play into this so that just because it it works in one location with the same formula with the same equipment it doesn't mean that it's going to be automatically a go on on the next site yeah do you have another myth um that it takes away jobs which it doesn't i agree uh, the What's happening now, realistically, is that the uh, labor force in construction is actually reducing. Um, there's a lot of tacit knowledge that is out there in the existing labor force that is not being transferred to the new generation. And what I mean about tacit knowledge, it's the knowledge not necessarily that you find in books or documents or colleges or universities, it's the work experience that every construction worker has had or gained or developed over the years as working in construction. This experience is not documented anywhere, and this experience is being lost in the construction sector as people retire and get out of the construction sector to move away. So the younger generation doesn't have that value that, that was, was generated over the past 50, 100 plus years when it comes to, to, to the construction sector. And they we have to consistently learn over and over again our, through our mistakes, through trial and error, trying to get there. The existing labor force has a big chance of actually teaching the younger generation and the new generation of how to actually build without having to start and reinvent the wheel from from the beginning. Even though we're using robotics, even though we're using new materials, even though we're using um, different um, approaches, 3D printing is just another tool in construction. Um, And I try to emphasize that as much as possible. So uh, the dynamics of, of how you construct or how you build is still there. Uh, and that knowledge that the existing labor force has is invaluable when it comes to moving forward and making this uh, construction sector or this this tool uh, more productive and more efficient in the way it moves forward.
0: Nice. Yeah, I agree completely. Even historically, when technology has replaced jobs, those jobs it's freed up those people to do more mindful work mm-hmm. generally. Um, And it's like the situations you cited, it's not even an occasion where people are losing their jobs. Uh, I have never heard of someone getting replaced by a concrete printer. But maybe if some of the other myths we talked about became true, uh, it would start to have a bigger impact in that way, like if it was more cost effective, uh, clearly.
1: Yeah, but again, you're still that experience is invaluable. When when you're looking at the experience and the knowledge that you get over the years in your construction, just little things like, for example, using a wrench, a, a different type wrench or a different type of screw, or or where to put formwork and where to put tension or where to focus on or where not to focus on, just simple things that that you gain by trial and error, and and just uh, having that would just make things much easier. But also, just because you're using computers and using robotics and different materials. There is still that knowledge and I say, okay, well, I think even though you're using this, but there might be a better way of doing it. And you have to keep in mind, for example, not just temperature and, and wind uh, and heat, but maybe some other factor like uh, uh, your surrounding temperature or the vibration uh, around your, or how many workers are, are there at site or, or something like that. Something that, that people just don't realize that has an effect on your on your material and your print and your construction site.
0: Nice. I would say the next one is that uh, 3D printed construction eliminates construction waste. Um, oh. A lot of companies look at construction waste and they just see the averages. And most people on a construction site, they aren't considerate about that because someone else is paying for the materials. So they overorder. they're reckless with their cuts. They might cut something in half and then throw away the four-foot piece of wood just to cut something else four feet somewhere else, um, replace break, broken windows, all kinds of stuff. A considerate job site can reduce their uh, waste tremendously from the average without any technology just by being considerate. So the 3D printed construction companies, they're trying to be more considerate, but oftentimes they're not. So they can make mistakes. They might do a substantial portion of a print that they have to destroy and redo. Uh, Most of them, almost none of them are actually recycling their material to take so much effort to crush it up and reuse it. Even though Mm -hmm. you could do that, it's not being done. Uh, so yeah, I don't think that 3d printed construction is really reducing waste much on the job site.
1: Oh, it might later on when you, when you're using like, um, 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 sort of like the, as much material as you need when you're printing, yeah. but again, it's, it's something that, that it's debatable. Um, it, it's hard to figure out now if it is actually zero waste or not, but again,
0: Oh, it's definitely not zero because it, they have yeah, to get so, the mix right. So they have to run the power exactly, slowly exactly. at first. Uh, there's always waste. It's a matter of how much waste. And if you're good, it's very little. If you're not great, it could be a tremendous amount of waste, uh, just yeah. like in real construct or normal construction sites traditionally. Um, yeah, I mean, we're really waiting on data so that we can do more scientific analysis rather than qualitative analysis, right?
1: Yeah. And and also waste is, uh, comes at a cost. I mean, like you have to pay to get rid of the waste on your construction site. I mean, uh, as a general contractor company, when we worked, we had our projects, but we also had to segregate our waste, like where's the wood, where's the concrete, where's the rebar, and then sell it, send it out to a recycling um, agency to actually do the recycling or actually dispose of the, of the material. So there's a big cost. If we can reduce that and 3D printing promises in the future to do that, then that will be a cost saving on your project as well. You worked for the GC that built which building in Dubai? several buildings. We built, uh, um, the company I used to work for, we built a midfield terminal in Abu Dhabi. Um, There was a big initiative on recycling and sustainability for that project, Uh, but also uh, the company built uh, pipelines, oil and gas, refineries, and- Wait, the
0: 3D printed buildings though? The 3D printing
1: building was in Saudi Arabia. In Saudi
0: Arabia. So I haven't visited that one. No. And they only
1: printed that one building? Uh, it was only one building. It was supposed to be a three-phase project, but we, uh, due to uh, financial problems at the did time, they purchase the printer? Uh, no, it was
0: leased. But they own their own. The rest of their equipment, they own themselves, like the both the dozers and stuff. You're saying?
1: Yeah, yeah, the general contractor. We were the general contractor, so we hired uh, CBA at the time as the subcontractor. So that nice. contract, um, and then we just handled them just as uh, any other subcontractor.
0: So is that? more typical in Saudi Arabia in America there are some gcs that have their own large equipment but most companies would lease or
1: do a rental and as the years progressed we were moving towards leasing only because the it was hard to find the spare parts but we were also looking at for example 3d printing spare parts for the for the depleting or the aging fleet that we had so mm-hmm. um, at that point it it all depends but again the the construction market um, sort of like went through sort of waves Of up and downs. So um, I think since then the company has gotten rid of their fleet uh, but are now leasing just because of the overhead that it caused.
0: Yeah cool. So where are you located now?
1: I'm in Toronto area in Canada. Cool is there prints going on there you're keeping? Oh yeah I've got I've got a cobalt printer I think in three hour radius from me. So I have in Windsor which is uh, the Habitat for Humanity project I have NIDIS 3D, which is in Kingston, Ontario. Um, and then Rochester, New York is where GE has their cobalt uh, research uh, uh,
0: printing. Yeah, there's also a uh, a telecom printer on the states side, not so far away near the Great Lakes yep. Yep. Uh, in Detroit. Yeah, I'm in Houston now, which has a lot of uh, printing companies uh, around here. But I'm only here maybe 40% of the time. Last week, I was in Colorado visiting uh, Ron Real and Emerging Objects. They're doing an Adobe print. It'll be the largest Adobe printed structure in the world when they complete it. Uh, Very nice. But it's not one. They moved the printer a few times. So I think the Tecla house, they moved the printer as well. But Adobe seems pretty promising, and their systems were going really well. Uh, It doesn't harden like concrete does. So it's not as much of a mad rush to get everything clean at the end
1: yeah exactly um and, and there's there's been many companies uh, around that have been doing the geopolymers as well so renka is one of them i know we we have talked initially when we contacted renka it was about 2016 mm-hmm. in dubai for a project but they, they there's a lot of promising um uh, possibilities when it comes to the, um, geopolymers and, and yeah i
0: actually did a podcast with renka uh that'll come out probably before this one pretty interesting it's just unclear where geopolymers will fit in uh it's there's not a lot of supply of geopolymer in terms of the silica based geopolymers which mm-hmm. is usually what people are talking about i mean concrete's a geopolymer to begin with so uh there's a lot of myths around geopolymers but i don't know exactly how we could put it into one clean geopolymer myth
1: <laughs> well if you if you can certify the structure based on existing standards and and thresholds i'm i'm sure that whatever material that you're using will, will, will just uh, pass the bar. It's not necessarily um, uh, which material I use. It's just as long as you get performance requirements that you require from from the structure that you're printing. Um, so um, I don't think people are too picky. Well, they are, but I mean, it, it will. it's based on your CO2 footprint, your sustainability, what what your initiatives are um, to get that. But it, not, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be stuck with the cement and concrete.
0: That comes back to another great point about Adobe. Uh, There's already great standards for Adobe structures. So you can kind of sweep the 3D printed fact under the rug and say, here's our Adobe building. Uh, And that should be much easier from a permitting perspective. I know the project they did in Colorado uh, Mm -hmm. was fully permitted. They had footings. uh, It'll have electrical plumbing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also, we're trying to address that in uh, we're trying to address the geopolymer and uh, adobe materials and clay in the ISO standard that we're developing. And hopefully, we get it published by the end of the year. So, we have cement, concrete, clay, adobe, and geopolymer referenced in there. Also, synthetic stone and other materials like Mighty Buildings is using.
0: And so, when somebody wants to get permits, how will those standards help them in a new
1: yeah, for one thing, it's it's now the issue, I think the biggest issue now is that when you have an engineer or technician going to your site and looking at the drawings, they're looking for, okay, where are my traditional support structures and, and how is this building standing up and, and how do I certify it? Um, what we're trying to do with, with this standard is actually say, okay, here's your 3D printed structure and here are your existing ASDM and, and other standards that you are used to. To certify your structure, and this is how you certify it. So you, you have this: if you're doing load bearing, or you're doing tensile strength, or you're doing seismic requirements, here's your existing standard that you use on a day-to-day basis, and this is how you certify it using that. So we're trying to, at this point, we're just trying to make it pe- make people understand what 3D printing is, and and that you can actually relate to it, sort of like taking the horse and the carriage and getting rid of the horse, but just leaving the carriage there, so that okay, it's it's a step at a time to try to transition. To, to get to to 3D printing or the Tesla car. We're not saying, okay, remove the horse and carriage and here's a Tesla car, but it, it works the same way. People that's too much for people to understand. So step by step, we're going to make that transition.
0: Yeah, certainly. And there are some existing standards, for example, AC509. Um, I can think of a bunch, but can you just describe some of the
1: shortcomings in uh, AC509? Um, from, from my experience and my understanding is that every time you have to go AC 509 is a very, very expensive process because you have to certify the material. And if you change the material composition that you're using, you still have to go through the same testing and same process. Not every, not every startup and not every company can afford to, to spend that money. There are companies out there that, that can, and, and kudos to them for, for making it. Um, and also because it is in demand in the market. So you have the black buffaloes, you have the contour crafting, and you have the other companies out there who are actually certified AC509 or getting certified AC509, um, and that gives them under the ICC, which are widely used in the United States um, uh, codes. Uh, but when you go international, um, other companies are not as um, uh, capable as uh, some of uh, these startups to actually get that certification, so the global standards that are out there are, again, our day-to-day process that every general contractor or every, every engineer or technician has access to, because that's part of their business. Um, and that's how we're certifying the structure based on that.
0: Yeah. I mean, from what I've seen in AC 509, there are some pretty damning details. Like you can't have a two story printed house.
1: And, and that's what the modification that Block Buffalo is doing. So they're actually going to the two story uh, building. So to get AC, AC 509 certified for two story buildings um, and more, but also trying to certify the, the materials that they're using. And since Black Buffalo, for example, is moving to Hempcrete, they'll probably introduce that as a part of AC509. I cannot speak for the company, but just assumptions. And, and uh, so, but they'll have to go extensive testing on that to get AC509 certified.
0: Yeah. AC509 also says you can't rely on any structural integrity from the printed concrete itself.
1: Okay, so which means that you still have to do your rebars. Vertical and your
0: columns. Rebars. Yeah. Will you be able to avoid that rule?
1: Um, not necessarily, no. Uh, oh,
0: that's but- too bad. I'd say that's the real big step that's required to uh, realize some of the cost effectiveness, if it's even possible.
1: Yeah, but that that goes back to the horse and carriage and just changing the horse and carriage and bringing in the Tesla. You have to take it one step at a time just to get people, just to grasp the the concept of 3D printing. There, there, there might be studies out there, or there might be transitions out there where you can eliminate the columns and the beams based on how you print your walls. So if you have a three layer wall and you have like, let's say, a honeycomb type of uh, pattern within your inner, your middle and your inner layer. That will probably be their, your structural element and your load bearing element between for, for the structure. The, the outer layer will be your, your, um, will eliminate your bridging so that you have the insulation requirements for, for in, for inside. Uh, the house. So there are many ways you can actually do that based on how you print. If you need to do four layers, for example, um, and and do a certain pattern to get the, the, the structural strength and the seismic strength, that all depends on, on your um, architectural design and how you want to do that. So there are ways you can eliminate the columns and the beams, but again, it, it's one step at a time and, and not just jumping from A to Z from one shot. So we have to take it in transition. So for now, I, I still see that people will be printing with rebar and uh, conventional concrete columns and and, uh, beams Uh, but little by little we're moving away and that's what we're doing with ASTM uh, work items is that we're we're shifting from your traditional approach and going to the more 3D printed and innovative approach of actually building your structures without having to resort to columns and beams and rebar.
0: So does it make it more difficult for companies to attempt structures without vertical columns and rebar?
1: You have to understand the general contractor's perspective on this. The general contractor takes ownership and responsibility for the building that they build. So they that's are the engineer, viable. not the general that, contractor, the architect, well, the engineer. The general contractor also has an engineering team sometimes that actually takes on the responsibility for that. So at the end of the day, if the, if the building collapses, the general contractor is liable, or for us as a general contractor, which we had our own certifying uh, engineering team, had to, had to issue um, certified engineering drawings that come out there. We had a third-party consultant who would come in and say, okay, yes, this is approved so that we don't um, uh, sort of cut corners, but the engineering and design, everything had to be done within-house. As a general contractor, you have the responsibility of taking on that liability and that risk. And in order to get that done and to continue doing business, you want to ensure that the building stands for the duration that is that you're guaranteeing the building for. Um, so you don't want the building to collapse after ten, after five years or ten years, just because well, we, we made a mistake somewhere. So there's a lot of there's a lot of um, um, uh, sort of responsibility. There's a lot of risk that comes into play. So. Uh, in order to avoid that they will do the overkill and do the beams on columns just to ensure that extra check that of safety and and uh, warranty that the structure is actually going to stand
0: yeah which is why it seems unfortunate you can't come up with some method of testing which could uh, relieve the necessity of vertical columns and rebar
1: uh, there th- that's that's happening and this is why we're, we're pushing it with from the uh ASTM site to actually have that we have a, a work item uh, that's specifically dedicated to 3D printed element design evaluation and testing so that's going to be doing. Uh, that work to actually put the standards together to actually certify 3D printed structured elements without having to um, resort to traditional uh, means and measures to to build mm-hmm.
0: Great. And when it's published, is there a review period or will that instantly be applicable uh, for construction?
1: No. all the standards that that get published go through a two-process review. Uh, So it goes out to the public. Committees have to comment on it, approve it. If there's negative comments that come in, they have to be addressed. Negative means that the standard stops in its uh, tracks um, and you have to resolve those negative comments that come in uh, for your standard. So those are critical comments that come in as negative. Some people might comment, but they may not, may not be a showstopper, but the negative comments, if they come in and when they come in, are showstoppers and they have to be addressed uh, because there's a critical concern coming in from the general public or the committee members that says, okay, well, you have to address this. Is it funded by the committee members? No, everybody who's actually putting their effort into this is volunteered uh, volunteer time. There's no cost. It's your own cost. Everybody assumes the cost and putting these standards together. So when I started John Group Eighty, that was that was on my own. Nobody's paying me to do this.
0: But there's no fees for with uh, ASTM or anything. So you get you guys didn't need to raise any money, just your time. Just time. Good. Very nice. Is there uh, any other myths that are sticking out that we skipped?
1: Uh, one big one is uh, that construction 3D printing is just concrete and it's just houses. And it's not. Additive construction is metals, polymers, plastics, um, recycled materials, and everything. And it's not just houses and walls. It's uh, metals, it's bridges, it's uh, spare parts, it's digital inventory, it's anything and everything that happens in construction. Uh, to do that, so um, additive construction, just like you see now in in the military, where they're actually installing these 3D printing um, uh, elements and and little mini factories on 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 the, uh, 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 battleships and and uh, aircraft carriers to actually supplement this this digital inventory type thing. Um, this is this is the same thing as in construction, so it's not much different. So you have remote areas in construction where like um, people or the or the or the um, Big general uh, companies have to have this big, huge warehouse where they have the spare parts that they might or might not use. Um, And it's just an overhead in terms of cost, in terms of logistics, in terms of manpower. Um, And this could be be actually um, uh, circumvented by just 3D printing elements that you need or the components that you need at the time when you need them. Um, Also eliminates the issue of lead time, especially if you have to wait for three or four or five weeks just for a spare part to come in.
0: Yeah, definitely. If somebody has like the whatever they need their material printed in, whether it's a metal printer, maybe it's even a plastic part, uh, pretty much every 3D printed construction site has something 3D printed that they're like, look, we needed this, so we just used our little printer over here to help the big printer.
1: Exactly. And even sometimes, I mean, we used to machine things together just just as a temporary solution until the real part came in or the part from the OEM came in. Uh, But but again, um, you can actually circumvent that by just... uh, Providing a, a better performance and a, a more accurate part um, by uh, just 3D printing it.
0: Cool. So that covers quite a bit. Um I'm trying to think if there's any other big myths standing out. Um how long is there a period that you have to wait after a house is printed before somebody can move in?
1: It all depends on the certification um, and now the engineer and the, the um, architect have to come in and actually certify the structure. So I wouldn't, it all depends on just your typical construction. So as soon as the finishing is, is placed, I mean, you cannot put the tiles and you cannot put the grout or you cannot put the sheetrock on this certain requirements uh, apply. So the same thing happens for 3d printed. I mean, you. I think there's
0: able... something else too, uh, preventing people from moving in on time. Uh, I've just seen it's been a little fishy. Some of these houses uh, are not occupied yet or the tenants have been told they're not supposed to move in yet. Uh, maybe it has to do with the fly ash or something.
1: I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. I think from my perspective, the only thing that would delay move in is the certificate of residency. If you don't have that certificate of residency, then nobody can live in the house. Mm hmm. You can use it as a model house where you can showcase the house and, and for people to just come in, and but nobody to reside in it. So the certificate of residency is a critical part. For people. Are
0: there any homes in North America that you're 100% sure somebody is living in full-time?
1: Uh, there's the well, the two houses in El- that was printed in uh, Virginia. I'm
0: not sure they've moved in yet.
1: I've seen uh, something that they did. So um, They did a
0: ribbon-cutting day.
1: I don't know. Based on the so again, social media that I see, there's two houses in Virginia that that are actually certified for occupancy.
0: Yeah, I'm not positive that those have been moved into. I don't know. This I know the one in uh Arizona, the other the Habitat project there, I don't think has been moved into yet. Um and the other projects are all Airbnbs or like overnight stays mm-hmm. uh or nonprofit projects that were given away. It's interesting once they give the house to somebody who lives there, I don't go there anymore. i don't I don't want to like it's a private residence. When it's a construction site, I feel differently about it. and I don't mind being in like a public street filming something yeah. that I'm whatever publicly allowed to. So I need to I guess wait and see after they did the handover. sometimes the people who move into the house contact me because they were excited about three d printed houses. maybe they saw the YouTube channel. they're like, oh, maybe you want to do a video or something with us. So if they ask me to, uh, I'm happy to do a video with them and hear their perspective about what they think. I'm sure mm-hmm. they'll have valuable feedback improvements.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially when when you're not used to concrete or cement-based materials as part of your construction. I mean, many people here, especially in North America, are used to stick-built, uh, but um, the concrete structures are very typical in, in Europe and Middle East and, and other regions in other countries. So it's not much of a transition uh, to to be in a 3D-printed house. It's just a different way of actually um, constructing your houses.
0: Do you think those hundred home projects are, will actually start this year? I hope so.
1: I, I hope so. I don't know. see any. I don't see any issues. Why not? The only thing that I can see again is is the um, certification and, and getting the permits and and everything like that. Uh, in place. The major issue
0: I see why not is the the mortgage rates in America are going through the roof. They're double yeah. what they were this time last year. Yeah. Um, so that's. You, there's the home builder sentiment has really deteriorated in the past couple months.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has. But again, it, it's not something that will be permanent. Uh, but also, um, I'm not sure if there are any other initiatives or organizations that will be funding these projects, um, and and especially if it's for affordable housing or for um, uh, a certain segment of the population, so that those uh, the funding will not be an issue um, and it's be subsidized housing in, in some way
0: interesting perspective um in canada there's a lot of money for subsidized housing
1: um no I, i'm not really sure actually so but uh based on what i know is that with initiatives like habitat for humanity there are ways where you could just um sort of um, afford a payment uh, yes you have to still i mean but the misconception with Habitat human for humanity is that you just get a house for free which is not um, you still pay your monthly bills, but it's, it's, an, uh, um, uh, sort of, um, reduced in a way that you can afford to pay your monthly payments uh, and not have to worry about like fluctuations in markets and stuff like that. But there is a still a monthly payment when it comes to, uh, Habitat for you. Yeah, it. yeah.
0: it'll be definitely the interesting, uh, it's hard for me to imagine there'll be hundred home projects completed by the end of the year because it's only six months away. Uh.
1: I mean, like if you if you look at if you look at 2020, there were hardly any projects in the US when it comes to 3D printing. We are in the middle of 2022, and there are more projects than you can ever imagine in the US alone, and they're coming up really quick. So I would say, um, just hold on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember the first 3D printed house in America. Uh, I put on my YouTube channel. I think it was the first video of it on the internet. Uh, Mm -hmm. I found it in like a concrete plant. I was just driving around Long Island, checked the third concrete plant I checked that day. Uh, But yeah, like you said, now there's so many of them. It's progressing really quickly. I don't mean to sound disappointed with the speed. It's just, uh, there have been at least three groups saying 100 home projects uh, this year. So,
1: Well, with construction, well, yeah. But again, if you're coming from the construction background and we have timelines and deadlines, um, some of them happen and don't happen.
0: None of them happen.
1: <laughs> with, with typical construction, even somebody says, okay, it's gonna take two years. It takes usually five. Yeah. And usually when they say they start uh, a certain date, it starts five months later or six months later, or if not a year later. So um, it's gonna happen. It's just, you just- A
0: lot of people were hoping 3D printed construction would be the end of that.
1: Uh, well, maybe later on, but we'll we'll see how it goes again. 3D printing is just a tool in your construction project. It's not going to be your all save, fix everything type uh, solution. So, yeah, from my perspective, address... it's
0: really about the future. Like people are investing in learning how these systems work, learning how to implement robotics on the job site safely with people, increasing the number of people trained, especially all the universities teaching students, increasing the job pool. So, it's not, uh, even though we're saying some negative things about the myths, people over promise, a lot of marketing people, especially, but the realities are good too. It's like headed in a positive direction.
1: It is. And the market is so big in the construction sector, when it comes to 3D printing, there's going to be enough playing field for everybody to participate in it. So, um, But the more you use it, the, the more people get uh, aware of the technology, the more research happens, the more uh, research and development uh, improves the material and the technology, the cheaper it gets. So the more players, the cheaper the solutions, the cheaper the materials um, and, and people get used to it and then and, and just like anything else.
0: Yeah, it'll be nice to see really large uh, batch plants producing concrete at scale.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll get there.
0: Have you yeah. talked to many big concrete suppliers?
1: Uh, well, the concrete suppliers that are now are pretty well known. So for when it comes to 3D printing, that they're, they're the big um, concrete suppliers that have actually provided the, the material, um, either in batch or in sacks or, or in bags. Uh, but again, um, it, it's it's a learning curve. So um, th- people are developing that kind of material, but they're not maybe developing it at scale, but also they have to learn that, okay, even th- again, even though it works in one location, it's not necessarily gonna work in another location. So um, even though a formula works in Europe doesn't mean that when you bring it to Canada it's going to be the same uh, magic sauce in
0: America people have to disclose all of the ingredients of a bag of concrete when you sell it to somebody mm-hmm. is that problematic for is that preventing people from wanting to invest in experimenting or uh
1: no i think i think as as material suppliers i think from their perspective there's a lot of um um possibilities and promise in the 3D printing industry where everybody's actually looking at that. There's a housing shortage that needs to be met. Um, It's not going to happen through traditional means and and building uh, approaches. So everybody's actually looking into that um, uh, seriously to actually develop material for 3D printing and to actually enter the market. So not just the big three or four that we know, there are other companies that are actually investing into this.
0: Yeah. I'd say the materials is the one thing that could be an overnight change for the industry. If the material cost was on parity with traditional concrete, Mm -hmm. uh, it's really exciting possibility. Uh, It's just hard to get a sense of if and when that'll happen.
1: Again, there's a lot of Uh, research going on. I just finished a call earlier this morning where a company was actually, it's not one of those major popular material suppliers, but they are looking into this and they've invested the past four years researching it and and moving forward with it. So um, it's happening. Um, So the more people are involved, um, the more research, more people use, the more feedback you get from the market, um, the the easier it helps. So that's why um, you're going to see the benefits as things happen. Um, and we and people start doing things at scale so when it comes to the 100 houses and 200 houses that are going to be promised to be printed um, i really look forward to that because this is going to open the doors as to what's working what's not working how we can improve the technology the material um, and and what else can we do with 3d printing
0: you say what's working what's not working uh what's working
1: everything is working to some extent so you can't you can't you can't uh uh say that something is not working um again to to benefit to see the realization of the cost benefit and everything you have to go on scale you cannot just put everything on one project and expect okay it's more expensive well yes it is going to be more expensive because everything is sitting on that um maybe there's a, a new way of of um um Delivering your material, maybe there's a new a mixture of compound, maybe there is uh, something that works in Texas and, and something that can use in in, uh, in Ontario uh, without having to change too much in terms of material composition and formula. So um, it, it just, it's a learning process that we need to go through. But again, you only learn that when you do mass production and mass scale type. Employment.
0: Yeah, it's hard for me to say anything, any part is working because every single part is a work in progress from my perspective and needs improvement. Uh, so it's- yeah, but uh,
1: every, everybody's trying something different. So you have those that are going mortar, you have those that are going uh, regular concrete, you have those that are going adobe, you have those going in clay. so you have multiple initiatives going in, in one direction, different directions. Uh, and and we don't have a consistent to say okay uh, approach to to how we're gonna move forward. but uh, again, it's 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 it is a learning experience. Uh, we're getting there. There are projects. There are real things that you can touch and, and houses that you can feel and they're there. You can visit them. Uh, but again, little by little, we'll get there. Yeah,
0: I think I've visited more than anyone in the world. <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely. And in different locations. I mean, like in, from the extreme heat to extreme cold to anything and everything in between. That's
0: why I know that there's nobody who's has it fi- like set. Every single aspect of every single project needs improvement. And so yeah. the, what it needs is lots of people motivated, willing to do the improvements and do the stuff that doesn't work best. Because that's how you take the baby steps, like you were saying, from the horse buggy to the Tesla, uh, yeah. and it's hard. It's not. It's very hard. The people on these job sites, they're putting in long hours. They're sweating. They're using their minds tremendously uh, and putting in tremendous effort.
1: And that's why having committees like Joint Group 18, and ISO ASTM and also the ASTM committees that are working towards these standards brings all these people together. So you're not sitting in a silo, uh, just a lo- on an island somewhere trying to figure out your problems. We, in addition to actually putting standards together, um, it brings the community together to actually discuss issues and find problems. So um, it, it, that's, that's a, source, a source of discussion and, not, and a knowledge sharing um, um, opportunity when people get involved in these committees. Yeah, I know
0: people are very hesitant to share their private information with groups like that, though, because they don't want to just give it away. I know a lot of information themselves.
1: We're not asking for proprietary information and we're not asking for either on your material side or your technology side. It's just the common issues that you think that will move your business, uh, can be resolved to move your business forward. So uh, let's say if you want to do a structural element, and you want to do your testing. What do we need to do to make that happen? And what do we need to do to make your business uh, successful or move forward and remove the, the 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 stumbling blocks that you're running into on a day to day basis? That sounds like a- you're going mm-hmm.
0: a little above and beyond what a typical group to establish ASTM standards might. Uh, like there needs to be some kind of shared database, right, for these companies, especially when it comes to the material regionally. If you can get, I guess that's proprietary to them. Uh,
1: we're not looking again, we're not looking at specific proprietary information from the material suppliers or the technology providers we are not
0: like even... but that would be a huge benefit. for example, if the if they shared their material data, that's where people would be it would really help. but it's since they know their region, they want to own their region so they don't want to give away the secrets to printing in their region.
1: Well again, it's not something that so what's are... an
0: example of something non-proprietary that's helpful for them?
1: Uh, testing load-bearing walls. Is there a specific print pattern that we can print so that we can avoid rebar nice. and uh, concrete? Perfect. That, that's something very basic, irrespective of material and technology that you're using. So these are the things that we're trying to make sure that that get put into standards. Taking your 3D model and actually getting to your 3D printed element, making sure that the, the details in your 3D model are actually transition to your 3D printed element and nothing is missed uh, in the translation or the conversion that you're doing. To, to you're getting
0: dangerously that. close to slicing, which is proprietary. <laughs>
1: yeah but i mean like just to ensure there certain guidelines that you have to follow to ensure that the quality of the model is actually translated to your 3d printed element
0: yeah i'm sure it's a little tricky to balance the having them help each other and competing with each other at the same time
1: well i mean like again people participate some people stay silent some people participate some people once in a blue moon say something and but it's constructive and it, it helps so but it's it, it still brings that that Okay, there's a place you can go to to actually if you're stuck and you need to ask somebody or you can come to me and ask me and then I can try to get that information to you in in, without trying to impede proprietary information or uh, uh, or or things like that. But there's the whole concept of bringing everybody together is that there's this group that this openness that that we're there. We're not asking you to. There are no restrictions into saying, okay, well, you have to provide one, two, three, four. You don't have to sign an NDA or anything like that to be part of this. It's an open discussion and it's up to you how much or how little you want to share in these discussions but it's there
0: so after the uh it goes it's published and let's say it gets reviewed approved i'm sure that'll require it at some level of attention after that though what's next for you
1: uh, more standards and more consulting so basically what i do now is uh, I am very passionate about 3D printing and construction. So for me, um, I will do anything and everything I need to do just to push this industry forward because there's a lot of potential in it, even without, with, with all the hesitations that are there and even with all the summoning blocks that are there, I see the potential in it and that's why I'm investing personal time as much as I am professional time in this sector. So, But also helping, doing the things that will enable this to happen. So standards is a big thing. as a, Coming from a general contractor perspective, Nothing gets nothing happens in construction without standards. So the standards have to be there for everybody to actually recognize and say, okay, this is this is a viable product that I can actually build with. So this is what I'm gonna use in order to actually certify my structures and move forward with it. So that gives your peace of mind and your guidance on how to actually. print. So standards is a big thing. And again, as as soon as we publish a standard end of this year, hopefully, we will start working on the revision and we will continue to expand on it on the work items that we have with ASDM. Uh, We're looking at sustainability, we're looking at safety, we're looking at the circular economy, we're looking at the design optimization, we're looking at uh, structural element uh, perfection. So there's so much that that needs to be done and shift away from the rebar and the concrete into more um, eco-friendly and more um, efficient way of actually building.
0: Once you have the standard in the system, is it easier or quicker to make revisions to it rather than establishing it from the get-go?
1: Yeah, it is easier because you are amending certain tasks and certain clauses, but the, the main document stays the same. So it's just like adding an addendum or a revision to an existing document. So Yeah, it seems like that time document.
0: prohibitive. It's been like 3 years trying to get this one going and to when you finish that for the next one to be another 3 years, that's too long. So No, not
1: necessarily. The typical takes 3 to 5 years. Uh, we have we officially became a committee in March of 2021. We hope to issue. We we finished the second draft, so it's the final draft that goes up in May. So it took less than a year, or a year and two months, um, and we hope to publish by the end of the year. So it's a year and a half at most from inception to publication. We talked about
0: is, Joint Group Eighty on our last call two years ago.
1: We didn't start it yet. I was just gathering the people.
0: It takes. You were putting effort into it.
1: Yeah. Well, now everybody's there. So Your
0: time is valuable. It counts. It counts. The well, efforts,
1: I, the efforts again, from it, the beginning it, to the end. Yeah. It, it's Well, yeah, but still it's shorter than your typical um, time frame.
0: Yeah. I would just hope that we could have it as fast as possible so that if a company comes out with a great innovation overnight, there could be a regulation equally quick to make it work.
1: And, and it all depends on your participating committee members so if the participating committee members see an urgency to get this done and as they have with John AT and with the ASTM committee members, uh, we will be able to get something published if it all depends on the momentum that you have in your, your committees. So the, the three year timeline is not just a rule um, it again depends on the momentum of your committee members the and the last
0: myth i want to talk about is that you have to follow international construction standards for construction projects in america
1: there have to there, there are certain standards that you have to follow um, whether I mean everybody uses ASTM standards um, in the US. So um, if you look at the certain standards that are being referenced as your building codes, you're still referring to certain specific ASTM standards within those building codes.
0: There's lots of references and it's used frequently, extremely helpful, beneficial for everybody. but there is no requirement for any international code or ASTM. Uh, on an American construction site, it's just a supplemental, uh, additive uh, thing for engineers to look at. Like you mentioned,
1: it it for for us as a general not a contractor, legal requirement. Yeah, for us as a general contractor, we were dependent on standards to actually move forward with any project. Without standards, we didn't move forward, and not necessarily specific uh, ISO or specific ASDM. Some people told us that they need to use uh, the British building codes to build the uh, the project, so that's what we use and. Um, so, uh, everybody gave a cent, but there have to be standards implemented. Whether uh, they use ISO ASD, or ASTM specific standards within the US consortium company, um, we are looking at it from a global perspective. So, and the best way to actually get a global perspective is through ISO and ASTM, and that's why we moved with this initiative that way.
0: Definitely. And it'll be uh, like right now, there's nothing to go off of besides AC509. So – just having anything is going to be tremendous, uh, even though it's not a guarantee. It's a it's a guide. Instead of walking around blind, they're walking around with a little string on the wall.
1: Yes. So it's it's a, again it's a start just to get people used to it and familiar with it to actually how to accept it and comprehend and move forward with it. Um, and then uh, yeah, and then the next step will be okay, little by little, moving away from traditional into the more innovative and sort of enabling this architectural freedom that that you can get with 3D printing.
0: Definitely. Do you think you'll stay in Toronto? Uh,
1: for now, yes.
0: yes. Cool. The uh, there's a huge housing need there. So uh, as more of these companies pop up, I think it'll be a good city for 3D printed construction.
1: Yeah, the, there's there's a housing shortage all over. I mean, this is the 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 the, the reality of things. Um, again, there's many statistics out there as to the the housing requirements and the deficiencies that we have existing market, but uh, yeah, that there is work, plenty of work for everybody to 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 tap into. Um, so uh, competition is not necessarily that somebody has to dominate the market. It's just uh, who can catch up to to meet the demand.
0: Are you a fan of Drake?
1: Uh, a little bit, yeah.
0: He lives there, right? Yep, Toronto and the Nelk boys. Justin
1: Bieber is here. Uh, we have everybody here.
0: Yeah, cool. Is there anything else we uh we left out that people kind of that are just looking at the surface level of 3D-printed construction they might not see?
1: Um, I mm, don't think there's anything else that comes to mind now, but I mean, again, if you're starting off 3D-printed construction and you're lost, don't be. There are many people out there that are willing to talk and, and discuss things, maybe not openly and, and on a Zoom, or Zoom call, or, or but uh, maybe on a one-to-one basis, uh, there are people that are willing to discuss things and help out. And. It's not that everybody has to work on a silo, especially when it comes to standards and it comes to things like that. But uh, um, it's a very small and close community, so um, it don't don't you don't have to do this on your own.
0: Yeah, those are very true words. Especially, uh, I really appreciate you coming on to ta- have this hard conversation. It's one that not a lot of people would have. There's a lot of these companies; uh, they're trying to raise money and stuff, so they never want to say anything remotely negative. Uh, So I really appreciate that you're willing to have like these honest conversations and bring the parts that are usually left in the shadows to the light. Uh, So, yeah, how can if people want to contact you, how do they get in touch with you?
1: Uh, Best place is LinkedIn. So Stefan Mansour, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-M-A-N-S-O-U-R. Just reach out and be more than happy to discuss and and have a call in the chat. Um, and if you need help, we have to help you either with the standard side or with trying to get into construction sector, or if you're a GC who wants to get into 3D printing, again, just reach out. That's the easiest way to do it.
0: Awesome. I'll make sure to, if not before then, schedule a call with you after the uh, it's published, and then we can uh, talk about that. That should be an awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Awesome. Next step. Absolutely. Great. Cool, man. Thank you again. Really appreciate it, and just nice catch up with you.
1: No worries, always nice to talk to you and best of luck in all your future endeavors.
0: You too, all right, later on.